Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you will speak now so that you will um, impart faith into our lives, that we might grow to become more, that you want, uh, more the people you want us to be, that we might serve you and love you more, and that we might see you for who you are. So, Lord, be high and lifted up, be glorified, and show us, show us more of yourself, that we might be people who see you and move where you are going and reflect who you are. So come now, Lord, speak through Colin, speak through me. And Lord, reveal to us all that you want us to do, all that you want us to be, that your kingdom might come and your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for this time, Lord. We welcome you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, just um, get straight into the word of God. Um, you'll know that we've been in Acts 5. We've had the difficult story of Ananias and Sapphira and how um, they dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit um, and, and the difficulty with that story. And then we had um, the story last week of the apostles healing many and even sometimes that the shadow of Peter would pass by and there would be healing. So some amazing things going on. And at the same time, we now see that there's, there's some difficulty as well with the whole thing. So um, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 5 and from verse 17 to um, so verse 32. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the chief priests were at a loss. Sorry, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Wonderful, a great story, and we'll continue that story next week. Um, but Colin and I are just going to kind of discuss kind of some of the things that come up here. Um, and it'd be good, uh, Colin, for, for us to kind of get your thoughts on maybe what we can learn from this passage about the kind of nature of God's kingdom. And we read in, um, in verse, oh, I've lost it a second. Hold on a sec. 
um, what the angel says in verse 20 and tell the people all about this new life. So what can we learn about the nature of the kingdom and this new life? It's kind of really interesting because obviously the this, this story flows on you know, through the chapter and we've kind of seen um, all the way through chapter five what God has been doing. Um, at the end of chapter four, there's this incredible generosity um, among the people of God where they share all that they have. They sell things to share among those in need. There's a generosity and a grace at work. Of course, uh, as Christians, we have experienced God's generosity and grace towards us, and it's natural that we share that. And of course, uh, Rebecca and Matt uh, last, uh, maybe two or three times ago, hinted that, you know, God's kingdom is one in which we we share that generosity. We want to bring uh, healness and wholeness to, to, to people and, and as well as we can uh, and of course the story goes on where the apostles heal many and it's kind of interesting and sometimes things get a little bit lost in translation but it's kind of literally uh, it says in the NIV the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people that's 5 verse 12 and it's it's sort of it really says that at the hands of the apostles there were signs and wonders. Mm. So you see the apostles' hands being used to bring this healing, this wholeness, this new life, this generosity that's expressed to others and transformation for people who are in bondage. It talks about and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. So that God is bringing a, a liberation, a freedom, a, a new life to people where Previously, that life was crushing and oppressive, but now there's freedom to that. And it, it, it's just that little clue in the language that says the apostles performed many signs and you know, many signs and wonders, but the apostles were done at the hands of the apostles. And then a few verses later on, um, we find that um, it talks about verse 18. It says they arrested the apostles, the Sanhedrin. And again, it's literally at they laid hands on the apostles. Mm. And you have this little contrast. On the hands of the apostles are being used to bring this healing, this wholeness. And God's kingdom is beginning to extend. And the only, the only way I could describe it is, is under God, there's a tremendous human flourishing going on. God is restoring and bringing this, this new life, this, this good life to these people. And God's kingdom is growing. And then I would almost say on the other hand, but that's a pun I didn't intend. Um, the, the hands of the, the Sanhedrin lay their hands on the apostles because it's you know, it describes them as being jealous. The words used again are very zealous, an old word. Um, and what do they do? They grab the hold of them and sling them in jail. So the hands are being used not to bring this human flourishing, but to oppress. They're issuing threats towards the apostles. And then um, the, at the end of the story, they, they, you know, they're, they're set free, but they get a flogging. Hmm. So the hands in one you know, one scenario are bringing healing, wholeness, this new life. And then the hands of the Sanhedrin are just bringing oppression and threats and ultimately violence. 
And you can see the sort of contrast in the, in the two kingdoms. One, God's kingdom that brings this incredible flourishing of, of new life and the kingdom of the Sanhedrin, the kingdom of men that does ultimately brings this oppression and this violence, these threats, if you don't do what we say. And there's that contrast, you know, hands and hands, you know, flourishing and, and ultimately violence and death. And that's, that's a kind of potent picture. Um, mm. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I guess, you know, you've got the resistance or the, the, the coming together of those two king, kingdoms and it's, it's a clash, isn't it? Um, and that clash is causing, causing the issue. And we know ultimately that God's kingdom will win and we have the victory um, but in the meantime, there's, there is going to be resistance, there is going to be opposition, and there's going to be difficulty to come. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think also, just in terms of the new life, it's interesting the, uh, the nature of the new life. You know, yes, it's good. It's the life in Jesus. Um, you know, there is wholeness and there is freedom. But then there will also be uh, the, the hardships here. There'll be resistance. That's... Uh, the interesting kind of dynamic there there is being part of this kingdom. Yeah. In many ways, you could say that the, the new life comes with all its blessings, but it does have a cost as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, and Jesus says that cost is taking up your cross daily, isn't it? And yeah. following Him. Yeah. Um, so, and then um, we see as Peter and the other apostles um, get to their response to kind of this, they say. We must obey God rather than human beings, or we must, you know, essentially we must live for God rather than live for men. So what does that mean to you, Colin? What does it mean to live for God rather than live for humanity? Yeah, it, 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 one, of, one of the kind of scariest things of this whole passage is that um, both parties actually believe with, with zeal and with passion that they're serving God. Mm. You know, both it's not as if one is you know, against God in, in an overt way. Well, they are and in practice, but they soundly believe that they are following God and serving God. And, and I guess the issue um, for me is, uh, for one of the things is that their, their theology of the, of the Sadducees is actually blind in them and constraining them and ultimately taking them to very dark places. On one hand, we have seen the character of the kingdom of God and the character of the kingdom of men, but somehow the, the, the Sadducees really genuinely, sincerely believe they're building the kingdom of God. And that's quite scary. You know, their, their, their theology is such that um, there is no resurrection. There's no hope in the future. So therefore, we'll do the best we can in the present. And that means accommodating with the Romans, all those kind of things to maintain their own power and their own kind of control. And there is no corrective for us. They, they have rejected the prophets. And yet the prophets would bring a very, very strong critique of their methods and their means and their, the way that they seek to maintain their power and oppress. You know, the prophets would bring a very, very sound critique of that. 
and mm. yet somehow they don't accept that and their theology has taken them into very dark places um, and the, the, the weird thing is that even though the evidence is right in front of them you know the apostles are bunged in jail but somehow this angel comes and lets them out they go to find them but there's nobody there and everything's locked up sound and, and the way they left it and this is just an, an impossible situation how on earth did they get out and it talks about them being perplexed. Yeah, this is pretty baffling, but yet somehow they cannot see it. They will not see it that somehow God is at work and they're still opposing it. Mm. And that again is a, a another thought. Their theology is able to see what's going on. It's unable to see what God is doing and they oppose it rather than go with it. You know, the apostles are living for the extent God's kingdom, and rightly so, but they, with their, their kind of broken theology, are going a very dark place. Mm. They're opposing what God is doing. They can't see what God is doing because their mindset is, is, is so sort of blinkered. And that's a scary challenge for me. You know, does my theology mean that somehow I, I don't see what God is doing? I'm unable to see what God is doing. I'm even unwilling to participate in it. Mm. You know, rather than sort of encounter God and see what he's doing and join with that, you know? Yeah. And that, that to me is a very challenging thought. Um, you know, we must obey God rather than men. They were convinced they were, you know, obeying God. And I, I really, really, I find that a scary thought that somehow that I could end up in the situation where I could be opposing what God is doing inadvertently with zeal and with confidence. Mm. And I really don't want to get into that situation. I don't, you know, I want to hear what God would say and what God would do and join with what it is he's up to rather than somehow inadvertently end up opposing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, that's kind of the passage that we started this year and in Philippians 3, isn't it? When Paul is saying, if I had confidence in in man, you know, in man-made things, Paul was as confident as anyone. Um, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, <laughs> you know, um, he thought he was doing something that was worthwhile in God's name. Yeah. Um, and yet it was missed so much, wasn't it? Um, and and we hear the, the cry of the early church and even now. Um, but it's certainly the, the, the main thing that said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and what do you think that meant for them, Colin, as they as they cried out, Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, well obviously, it, it's you know, with Jesus being Lord. Of course, that means that they have to obey and serve him. That sort of goes. Of course, there's a there's a whole other aspect to that. You know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar isn't. The yeah. Sanhedrin isn't. You know, we yeah. must obey him and come in line with 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 his words and his actions. Yeah. You know, and and ultimately, a, a kind of thought struck me was that, you know, when we work for God, we obey God rather than men. We've got to use God's methods. Mm. You know, the, 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 the methods that bring healing, bring wholeness and truth 
We've got to use those God's, God's methods. We've got to speak God's words. You know, the angel says, speak the message of these words of life. Yeah. So we've got to speak God's word in, in scripture also, but in, in love. And the words and the actions kind of match and they go together. And, 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 and also powerfully in this, in, the, in, in Acts, it's these two, speaking God's words and, and, and using God's methods are actually done in God's power. Mm. Yeah. So those three form a, an incredibly sort of transformational thing. You know, God's working to build his kingdom. Yeah. I don't know if anybody, well, there probably are. Some of you old enough, you know, you, I don't know if you remember the old um, meatloaf song, you know, two out of three yet bad. Probably. I'd say I do. <laughs> probably before your time. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, and in this case, two out of three is pretty disastrous. <laughs> well, it turns out the Sanhedrin aren't doing any of the three, you know, the speaking, you know, using God's methods of love for all in balance and so on, speaking God's words of scripture and love and do it in God's power of the spirit. It's, you know, those, those kind of things um, together form this, this very powerful trio. Yeah. And, and two out of three is bad. Well, actually, it's not that great. <laughs> You know, we should be looking to Acts to see how the, the three work together in, the, in, the, in this powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And actually, we see in verse 32, don't we? It says, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You know, um, we see that the obedience is because the Holy Spirit is enabling them and giving them the words to speak. And of course, for them, you know, from the Old Testament point of view, the, the, there's got to be two witnesses, at least. You know, they can stand as a group and witness, but also it's not just them. The spirit at work in their community and yeah. beyond is actually another witness pointing to the truth of, and, and the fact that this is God at work. You yeah. know, this is, again, the, the evidence should be in front of the Sanhedrin, but la, 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 we're not going to see it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, sometimes we think, oh, if only we saw more miracles, we would see more people come to know Jesus. And I, I definitely think there's an element of truth to that. But, you know, Jesus did more amazing stuff. The earlier, you know, and there was still resistance. There was still opposition. There were still people who said, this is not from God. In fact, the opposite, they were saying it was from, from Beelzebub. Yeah. You know, and, um, and so when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 that he didn't come with wise or eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power that is of course how we should approach our relationship with others when we're trying to point them to jesus it's not about us or our wise words but a demonstration of the spirit's power but even that ultimately is down to god and the relationship between the person and god whether they actually turn and give their life to jesus in the first place because it, it says elsewhere i think it's in ephesians that the 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 enemy has has blinded our hearts, has blinded our eyes to what he wants to do. Um, and of course, you know, you, you talked about Caesar is Lord, um, or sorry, Jesus is Lord and therefore Caesar isn't. And we don't have that kind of, you know, autocracy. Maybe in some countries around the world there are, but certainly we don't. And in the West we don't. Um, but there are other things that we kind of bow down to uh, unwittingly, you know, to money or to fame or to popularity those kind of things and by declaring Jesus is Lord we're saying that we're not living for those things we're living for only Jesus 
So, so as we draw this to a close, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on what, what it means for us. And here we see some persecution in the early church, kind of the early signs of it. So should we expect persecution today for our faith in Jesus? Yeah, yes, I think there should be some pushback. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in our society, which I'll sort of mention briefly, but maybe not in the overt way that they experienced it with flogging and so on, at least not in our Western culture. Um, other countries will do, yes, absolutely. Christians will be flogged, you know, mm. and, and so on. But there will be some, there'll be some, definitely some pushback. Uh, and in many ways, that's the nature of the Christian message. Because um, yeah. if you sit down and think about it, you know, they're talking about, they've got to speak this message, these, these words of this new life. And what does that entail? I mean, okay, if you think about it, the message of this new life is quite absurd. Now, what we're saying is this man who lived two millennia ago, who was executed and tortured as a criminal, is the world's saviour and the world's true Lord. To many years, that just sounds daft. Hmm. You know, the, and, he's, and, this, and we're also claiming that this man is the literal embodiment of the creator God the literal embodiment of the creator God. And when he was executed, he, he, he rose from the dead. He wasn't dead. He rose from the dead to new life. And people knew in the two millennia ago, as they know today, when you're dead, you kind of stay that way. You know, people don't come back from the dead. It's a well-attested fact. And yet, they're standing in front of saying, we are witnesses to this. We saw this impossible event occur. And that's going to sound ridiculous to many people. You know, just as ridiculous to the Sanhedrin who saw them, you know, they escaped and they couldn't work it out, but it can't be God at work, you know. In this case, it, it, it's, you know, this risen from the dead. And now he's risen from the dead. He brings forgiveness and new life. But then the bit that's going to be the most offensive is that only in him are these things true. Not in any other seer or guru or prophet or, you know, new age mindfulness or whatever you want to call it. You know, some of those things may be good in themselves, but they're not going to bring this human flourishing and new life that, God is bringing in his, through his kingdom. And that's going to be the bit that's going to be the most offensive in our culture where all opinions are meant to be the same and everybody's opinion is equally valid. And you, the last thing that you can be is intolerant and exclusive. And the funny thing, the really ironic paradox is that our tolerant culture if then you don't go along with it, it actually will manifest quite an intolerant face. Mm -hmm. You can't say that. Um, but yet we are got to say that Jesus is this one true Lord and he is risen. And all the leaders and all the potentates who think they really are, including ourselves in our own lives, will be called to account one day. 
And that's going to shake people up too. You know, the fact that we are accountable for our lives or for the way we run the country or for the way we deal with our neighbours, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, and people will push back at that, you know, that only in Jesus are these things true. That's going to offend people big time in this culture. The, the, the irony is that the tolerance is then unmasked is quite intolerant. Yeah. 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 And I guess the challenge for us is about whether we are doing enough to represent this offensive message. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't yeah, it? We don't want to be deliberately offensive. No, no. No, we don't want to do that. Is, that is against everything the gospel stands for. Yeah. But there's something about the gospel itself that at its heart is actually will offend people. Yeah. Yes. And if we want to be people who truly represent God, then we have to be prepared to stand up for that offensive message, even if it does offend people. <laughs> um, and the challenge for me is if I'm not experiencing some form of resistance. Am I, am I actually living out that gospel? Am I, am I doing enough to say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living for God, but not doing so much that it's, I'm not going to offend anyone. <laughs> um, and as you say, we don't want to offend people for offense sake. In fact, I don't want to offend anyone. It's, it should yeah. be the message, the message that offends. And then people will obviously read into that, that into it what they want. But it's a challenge, isn't it? These these guys in terms of living for men or living for God were willing to lay down their everything. And going back to that passage in Philippians three that we started the year on and, and what Paul says, you know, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider, consider everything a loss because of the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Caesar, or politics or sport or money or health or popularity whatever we, we could substitute jesus for um it's all garbage it's all nothing and then yeah then he says something remarkable doesn't he i want to know christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering becoming like him in his death i don't know about you colin but i don't feel like i'm there <laughs> oh. I want. Yeah. Um, certainly not. Certainly not at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, wanting to participate in his sufferings, and yet that's the life that we've been called to. No compromise. You know, only Jesus, and the Spirit will enable us to. And we've got to be willing to submit to what the the Spirit wants. Yeah, it's a challenge for us, isn't it? And when we look at the whole of Acts, we think, "Oh God, help us be like this group of people." <laughs> transform the whole of the known world and obviously the work's still continuing but we don't want to get so comfortable in what we've had we've got that we're not willing to step out and there will be resistance as we do yeah have you got anything else you wanted to say colin or should we pray? no no i think i'm spent no <laughs> <laughs> fine well let's just take a moment to be still and be quiet before the lord and invite him to speak uh, into our lives about what we've said and what the Lord's saying, that we might be people of no compromise and that truly the people he wants us to be. So let's just be still before him for a moment.
Lord Jesus, I, I want to start by thanking you that this isn't just something that you've asked us to do and didn't walk through yourself, but you endured the cross. You, you went to the cross for me and for this whole world. You who had done no wrong, you who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, that is just so amazing. And the, the message is amazing. It is good news, but it's also offensive to us who want to live for ourselves. So Lord, if there is anything in us that wants to live for ourselves, anything that might block what you really want to do in us living for you, Father, we pray for your forgiveness. We turn away from that now. And we pray that we will only live for you. And as we do so, Lord, would we bring hope into the situations around us, to this community, to the communities that we work in, to the, uh, the places that we, uh, we spend our time, to the people that we know. Lord, would we bring hope and would we share the hope that, that it is only found in you? Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us now and enable us to be people who represent you who live for you alone. And Lord, we don't just want to be people who on a Sunday ask, for, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then for the rest of the week we, we live for ourselves. Lord, we want to be people who live for you in every moment. Lord, that you would take us by your hand. We would be filled with your spirit. Lord, that as we, as we live for you, you would confirm what you're doing through signs and wonders and through changing people's lives, through healing and deliverance and salvation. Lord, we pray these things because we know that you are the same God that we see in Acts, the God who works wonders among your people. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continue to work through us. And Lord, we would be able to say with the people in Acts, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lord, we pray for that. We long for that. We long to see revival. So revive us, Lord, that we might bring revival into the areas around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.